So before I get, <clears throat> before I get started, it was actually interesting um, that Melissa said what she did about the silence and the hurry. No lie, maybe two minutes before she said that a friend of mine sent me this text message here. And I wanted to read it, and then I got to the end of it, and I went, ooh, I don't know if I should read that. But I'm going to read it anyways because it kind of goes with the whole thing that she just said. And it said. It's called No Time. It says, I knelt to pray, but not for too long. I had much to do, must hurry off and get to work, for bills would soon be due. And so I said in a hurried prayer, jumped, from my, jumped up from off my knees, my Christian duty now was done. My soul could be at ease. All through the day, I had no time to speak a word of cheer, no time to speak of Christ to friends. They'd laugh at me, I'd fear. No time, no Siri, no one's talking to you. No time, no time, too much to do. That was my constant cry. No time to give to those in need. At last, it was my time to die. And when, I, and when before the Lord I came, I stood with downcast eyes. Within his hands he held a book. It was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, Your name I cannot find. I was once going to write it down, but never found the time. So I just texted her back and said, Wow, what a, what a reminder. Right? And part of what I've been wrestling with too as I work through this section of scripture and had been reading that book, uh, The Celebration of Disciplines, there's one statement in there that has just grasped my heart more than anything I've read in a long time. I've, I probably said it last week, but I'm going to say it again because I think it needs to be a, a constant thing that I, that I say, at least for myself. It says, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Right? And I think it's I think some of us think it's cool that when people ask how we're doing, we say busy. I'm so busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Why do we always have to be busy? Why can't we stop long enough to say a prayer? Right? Why do we always have somewhere to go or something to do? What is it, what's going on inside of us that makes us live that way? I mean, think about living in Jesus' time, right? And they had to walk everywhere. They're not going to run. They're not in no hurry because you're walking for miles, right? If any of you guys know you got a long run ahead of you, you don't run really fast to get to the end of it. You pace yourself, right? So there is this slowing down that happens. And so just one of those things, food for thought, right? You can do with it what you please, Um but yeah, time, what do we do with it? It's the only thing that we can't ever get back. It really is. Time is not refundable. And so, but everything else is. So here we are for part three of Jesus Really Said. And working through the Beatitudes. And today we're going to look at mercy, pure of heart, and peacemaker. I am going to get through three of them, I promise, and we won't be here all day. I do like to talk, though, so I don't know. I'm just kidding. 
we're saving persecution for next Sunday. Right? Because I think that one deserves its own. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wonder sometimes, like, what are we taking from this? As we hear these things that God tells us about our, the Christian character, right? The, the person we are when he is a part of our lives, right? And, and I, and I wonder, do we hold the mirror up and really look at it or we saying, I wish this guy would hurry up and be done and go back to Western Ranch and never come back? Right? Because it is hard to look at ourselves with honesty. I don't know about you, but I never do wrong in my eyes. I'm always the best. And when I fail, there's a reason why. Right? There's always something outside of me that made me stumble to not do the best that I could or for whatever reason. Right? I'm never the culprit. And I've been challenging you guys to look in this mirror and allow yourselves to be the culprit. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Why? Because we have a gracious God who loves us. I don't know what we think about how God looks at us. And I hope we, we believe that he looks at us with grace and mercy. Because that's how he looks at us. I made the comment to somebody like, church should be fun. Like, we should enjoy ourselves here. We should smile. And she goes, don't you know you're in the CRC? Like, we don't smile. We don't have fun. And it hurts me to hear that. And I know that to be true. That, that I've been told we don't turn our heads in church. So stop running up and down the aisle. Like, Seriously? Like, that's how we get down here? Yes. And when we laugh, we get pinched. Because Grandma used to tell us, if you're laughing in church, you're thinking unhealthy thoughts. I'm just like, holy cow, what is going on here? Like, I am in the wrong place, right? But I think God has conditioned us to have joy in our hearts. To feel pain. And to feel other people. And so we began this section and we talked about poverty of spirit, right? And what does that look like? And, and to uh, understand that I am not amazing in myself. That I don't bring anything that God cannot do without me. That I am in need of Him to do anything good. Because I don't know if you're like me, but everything I do is about me. What am I going to get? How am I going to move ahead? All this me, 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 selfish stuff. But poverty of spirit says, no, me doing this by myself is going to be bad. But me doing this of God is going to be good because God is good. And so how do I ask God to partake in everything that I do? Everything. 
to playing a soccer game, to taking a test, to waking up and thanking him for life, right? It's a part of that whole slowing down thing, right? Like, how do I ask God to just be a part of my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my relationship at work, everything? Talked about mourning. I can't mourn if I don't understand the brokenness that I, I live in. But I mourn my sin. I don't know if I'm looking in that mirror, how often do I sin? And what definition am I using of sin? Do I say walking past somebody in need is sin? Or do I say, well, they did something to get themselves there, so I'm good. I'm a good person. Why do I say that? Because when we talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, do we ever think that the Levite and the priest are in the wrong for walking by the man left dead? Do we ever think they're wrong for that? And if we do, when we walk past the person in need, are we wrong for that too? Do we mourn over our sin? Why does that matter? Because I can't be forgiven for something that I'm not sorry for. Right, we talked about that. We teach our kids, you got to be sorry for what you do that's wrong, or you can't be forgiven for it, right? Like, you don't get to just keep going. We talked about meekness, humility, right? Strength under control. Jesus could have called angels from heaven to come down and save him. Right? Could have probably done all kinds of things. He could hear our thoughts. He knew our hearts. He knew everything about us. Probably could have snapped his finger and things would have changed. But he didn't. He allowed them to play out the way they were supposed to. How often do we allow things to play out the way they're supposed to? And not try to force things to go the way we want them to. I fall victim to that big time. I'm very hands-on with my kids. Very. Because I want them to be a particular way. Then we talked about hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Do we all want righteousness in our own life? Do we all want to be considered righteous? And then can we, can, can we think about what it would be to have righteousness in the lives of others? Whew. Righteousness in someone else's life that I don't know, that may be bad, that may be a criminal, that may hurt people. Why would they deserve righteousness? Can I hunger and thirst for it? I mean, hungering and thirsting to the point of starvation and dehydration. Like, I'm, I'm begging for it. Do we not realize that if more righteousness was in the world, we wouldn't have so much evil in the world? Like, it's one of those things that we don't think about. But the healthier the world is, the less sickness that exists in it. In the same way with our life, the more righteousness and health that's in it is the less sickness that stays. 
And now here we are at mercy. Ooh, this was hard, right? Because mercy is an action. Compassion is an action, not just a feeling. So blessed are those who have mercy, for they will receive mercy. What am I doing? What am I doing? I bumped my head. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor and appear in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and Father, we surrender our heart to you, our mind, our soul, all that we are. Ask that your words be spoken to your children, not mine. That you be honored and glorified to the fullest, because that's what you deserve. Father, I pray for all distractions to be removed, internal and external. I pray that you open us up to whatever is you and close us to whatever is not of you. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. See, even I get a little ahead of myself at times. Didn't even read the passage. Didn't pray. What was I doing, right? What was I doing? Somebody should have stood up and threw a Bible at me or something. Like, hey, where are you going, bro? Like, pump the brakes. <sighs> so embarrassed. Please forgive me. But here we are at mercy, right? And mercy is this action. So you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus ends the passage asking the lawyer who came to him, who was the one who was a good neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy. And we always talk about these external things, right? And, and, and when we focus on the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We talk about why the priest and the Levite could not stop to help the man. And I wonder how many of us get caught up in external things. Like my righteousness is connected to the way I behave. To the things that I do. That everyone can see. Like do we understand that. It starts from the inside. 
works out. Blessed are the ones who show mercy. Mercy is helping the wretched. Helping, bringing relief to the miserable. What does that mean? Oh my goodness. Helping the wretched? Bringing relief to the miserable? So I see people in pain and you want me to intervene in their life? Yes. Why? Because God calls us to it. I was on the phone with a, a, a guy that I mentored last night and him and his wife have been going rounds with each other. Like rounds, right? It's crazy because there'll be days where I get a phone call because they live in Fresno. I'll get a phone call and they'll go, I'm in Merced on my way to stay the weekend at your house because we need to do some counseling. Okay. guess my plans are canceled, right? But this is, the, this is the kind of going rounds I'm talking about, right? Like they know immediately one of them has to leave and go get some help. Because it's all bad. And so we were on the phone. I forgot even why I was even talking about that dude. I don't know. I'll get back to him. I know he'll come back. But we're here to help the wretched, right? Oh, yeah. I got to intervene, right? How many times do we see people in pain and we see ugly happening in the world and look the other way and say, as long as it doesn't affect me, I don't have to participate in that. This is where mercy plays in. Why does it matter? It matters because God first gave us mercy. He did. I ask the church all the time, do we realize the amount of grace that was required in order to give us the lives that we live today? Like, do we realize the amount of grace that was necessary to live the way we live? Do we realize the brokenness that we live in on a daily basis in order to be called children of God, for Him to do what He did in order to give us the lives that we live? Mercy plays into not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve, but not giving us what we do deserve. So we go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus is asking which one was the good neighbor. There's an old saying in, it begins at the beginning of the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? It's easy in our minds to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. Just do what he says, right? That's at least what we say. Do what he says, and I'm doing that. But what about when it comes to loving my neighbor as myself? Can I desire for you the same things that I desire for me? The love. The forgiveness, the grace, the mercy. 
I don't know if you're like me, but I make some huge mistakes regularly, right? I give Paul a run for his money on who's the worst believer ever, right? Because I, I make some big mistakes at times. And all I want is to be forgiven. All I want is grace. But let somebody turn a, a bad eye on me real quick and it's all bad for you. It's all bad. I don't want to give you forgiveness. Didn't you know what you did to me? You hurt me. So does that mean loving my neighbor as I love myself? Because I want something for me that I'm not willing to give to you? Right, just like when we talked about last week, like I'm real quick to want to tell you about a good restaurant I eat at, a good movie that I see, some Tupperware that I just bought, my new iPhone 11, I can, I can show you what's up with it. But do I tell you about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me that gives me the ability to stand up here before you guys and talk? That gives me the ability to live the life that I live today? Can I talk about that? The gift that somebody gave me that I desperately needed. Can I love you? Can I have mercy on you to share that with you too? Why does that matter? Because if I realize the amount of mercy that God had to give me in order to be where I am, if I understand it, then I can give it to you. I can give you that much mercy that God had to give me to be where I am. Now, if I don't get it, if I don't understand the amount of mercy that it took, it took someone going on the cross and dying for me. I wasn't just a little sinner that I said little white lies. So, Jesus, you really didn't have to go die for me in order to be where I am today. But if I realize that it required someone's life, I give you the same because the same brokenness that I suffer from so do you so do you but why does that matter because pure in heart allows me to be able to see God can I see God in you if we are created in the image of God I should be able to see God in you regardless of where you are. Regardless of the decisions and the choices that you're making. I should be able to see God in you. Because I want to see God in me. I want you to know that I'm a good person. I want you to know that I'm loving and caring but do you get caught up on all the external that you see and what it might tell you about who I am or can you see God in me seeing God Requires pureness of heart. What does pure of heart look like? Pure of heart looks like a singleness to focus solely upon God no matter what. In everything. 
a singleness of focus on God. This is why, like, asking God to be a part of everything that I do becomes crucial. Because why am I doing what I'm doing if it's not for God? When I used to coach at FPU, at Fresno Pacific, we had this little Bible study of guys that had all become new believers. And there was like two or three guys who had been believers all their lives that were kind of mentoring and walking with them, right? And they all used to have A1 on their hats, right, Under, written underneath. A1, I'm like, what are you guys, like a little gang? A1, right? And uh, they're like, yeah, it's our Christian gang. Okay, what's A1 stand for? And they're like, audience of one. I was like, tell me more. (laughs) Audience of one. In Colossians. And everything that we do, we do for Christ and not for man. They said, we have to be reminded that why we play ball is for Jesus. So when we look at our hats, we reminded because we can get real selfish in why we're doing what we're doing here. But we need to be reminded that this is about him, not about us. I was like, that's pretty good. Teach me something. But how do we have singleness of focus? Because if I'm not doing it for God... I am doing it for me. I am doing it for selfishness. Why does that matter? Because selfishness can be perverted. It can be distorted. And it can take me into a direction that God no longer matters and why I do what I do. Why does it matter? Because he's the one who gave me the gift to be able to do what I do. He's the one who gave me the gift to be able to play ball. Why would I not play for him? Why would I make it about me and play to make myself more? Why'd I wear this shirt today? Because it's a reminder. Right? This is my new A1 right here. That he is greater than... Like, I need to be reminded constantly that this this up here is not about me. It's not. And yes, I get carried away and I make it about me because I want to be liked and I want to be heard and I want to be received and, and all this good stuff. But at the end of the day, whether you like what I say or not, is irrelevant to me. has to be. Or I'm not going to tell you the things that need to be said. I'm not going to tell you the hard things. Because it needs to be about him. Why? Because I love you so much that I want you to know him the way I do. I want him, I want you to know him the way I do. 
but can we want that for other people? Can we want people to know God the way we do? Can we want them to have everything life has to offer through Christ? Can I want that for you? Like this is really where the rubber starts meeting the road about being a believer and where we are in that journey and that walk with Christ. And so often I'm telling people like where you are doesn't matter. It's a starting point right now where you are in that journey, in that relationship with Jesus. When you say here's where I'm at and it doesn't, don't fake the funk. Don't, don't say something that's not true. Don't try to pretend to be someone you're not. If you don't know him, just say it. I don't know him and it's okay. It's okay. I've been sitting here all my life and I still don't know who Jesus is. Really. It's okay. All it is is a starting point. But where do we go from there is what matters. Which direction do we start moving from there is what matters. I want, I want a pure heart. I hate thinking evil about people. I hate having ill will for people. I hate being okay with letting people who are suffering continue suffering as I go on about my day. I hate it. And I hope you do too. In the same way that I really hope somebody wouldn't leave me there if I was there. Which, once again, brings us back to why I try to get us to greet the way we do because we never know where people are. Like, everything I have has a rhythm to it. We never know where people are. Even people that we're with at least every Sunday, if not every day. Have we created space where I can lay my true self here and know that you're going to love me in it? Or do I got to hide parts of it so that you'd be okay with me? Peacemakers. This is not the laissez-faire, the let's just say yes people. Let's just keep it calm people. This is not them. Those people are scared. That's what they're called. Peacemakers are the ones that go out there and stir the pot in order to bring justice for those who don't have it. Who bring wellness and betterment to the lives of people. Peace. What does that look like? What does it look like to say, here's peace? 
I know when I was getting clean from drugs, when I had nothing going on, that means like chaos, like I wasn't fighting with someone, I wasn't stealing, or I wasn't doing this, or I wasn't doing that. I called it boredom. I called my sponsor or my mentor at the time, like, dude, I'm bored. He's like, why? Because well, I'm just sitting at home watching TV, like nothing to do. He's like, oh, so you're experiencing peace for once in your life, and you want to call it boredom. I was like, that's what that's called? He's like, yeah, that's what that's called. Not doing something to want to go to jail? Yeah, that's called peace. So enjoy it. But what does that look like for the people that are around me? To be able to experience that calmness, that ability to be able to stop and sit in silence and be okay with self. It's a good test, right? Go home, don't turn nothing on, and just sit and see how long you can do it. I'm like 35 seconds. Then that TV's got to go on. I just need noise, right? Sitting in silence with the with the noise of the head, like is crazy. The voices that talk to me and tell me all kinds of weird things, yeah, I gotta tune them out. But then it's not like I put anything healthy on, right? Unless there's a, a baseball or a football game. Because I'm putting on Criminal Minds or Supernatural or, right? Some demonic killer show. They're screaming, not me. Jerry Springer, right? Start going, Jerry, Jerry, in my house. But what does it look like to have peace? And then to be the one who fights for it for other people. The maker. The peacemaker. Now you're fighting for peace for other people. What does that look like? If you notice, these three here require us to involve ourselves in the lives of others. Oh my goodness, that's so scary. Why? Because when you start digging into someone's ugly, you start digging into their ugly. And that's hard. It's not like they're a little cat that you can just feed one time and they go away. Like when you start pouring into the ugliness of someone's life, like they become entrenched in yours. But these three require us to be in the lives of people. And that's why I asked the question last time, like, how good are we at doing that with just the people that we have sitting in here with us now? I, I, I know, I believe that you are a follower of Christ, so it's a little easier there. I see you on Sundays. Your kids aren't stealing from me. They're pretty well behaved. So I'm pretty trusting of you in my house. But if we struggle with that in here, we definitely are never going to be able to do that out there. Did you just call us to go outside and do something with people we don't know? That maybe don't know Jesus? Yes, I did. Yeah. we got to pour into the lives of others who are not sitting in here. That don't sit in here. But until I can do those things with me and you, I'm never going to be able to do that out there. Never. Never. 
I don't know if any of you are think, asking the question to yourself, why would we want to? Because God calls us to. He does. He doesn't call us to stay in a little Christian bubble. He doesn't. I said it last time. Christianity is an evangelistic faith. The faith meant to be shared, not kept to self. The key word, self. But shared with others. How many of us get frustrated with the ugly we see in the world? How many of us get frustrated? Do you know if more people were Christian, a lot of that ugly would go away? So that should make us want to go out and run and tell everybody so that the ugly goes away. Because if everybody knew Christ, knew him, Knew him. Knew him. The ugly would go away. It would. But if we don't tell people, the ugly stays. And then what do we do? We hide. Because we don't want to be a part of that. Once again, this is not about human faith. Because none of these things I can do alone. None of these things, under my own power of will, am I able to do. So it requires me to fall on my face and ask God for His strength, for His heart, for His mercy. For his peace that he's given me, that I may be able to give to others. Under my own power of will, cross it once and we're done. But with him, who I cross all the time, still wakes me up, still gives me breath, still lets my heart beat, still lets me talk, still lets me come here and stand before you and talk about him. I got to call on his grace and mercy and compassion and love to be able to do it. Got to. So let's pray. Father, we come. We're so grateful for you and what you do and the ways that you work. And Father, we are so, I'm so sorry for starting the way I did and leaving you out of this. And Father, your people deserve so much better than that. And so we come before you and ask for your forgiveness on me but we thank you for your heart we thank you for your mercy and your compassion and your peace we thank you for all that you do and all that you're going to be doing we just ask that you continually fortify us continually help us turn our face towards you continually keep your hand upon us we love you and we call on you for mercy We thank you, Father. We praise you in your mighty name.